the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Today we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12. And before I jump into it, I want to let you know about some things we've got going on here at North Valley. Uh, and something that you can be involved in. It's going to start on Labor Day. I know that's a holiday everyone's been telling me. Uh, September the 4th, that evening, and uh, I think I said, well, I hope I'm right about that. I'm pretty sure it's, yeah, 7 o'clock. Uh, it's going to be September the 4th at 7 o'clock on our stream. So we have that YouTube stream we do on Sunday morning, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights, and you can go to our website, www.nvcoc.net. And there is a link to take you over to the YouTube channel. Now, you can watch it live there, but I want to try to get that taken down where it's only a link to take you to the YouTube. And there's going to be a live video on September 4th, 7 p.m., but you'll be able to use the chat feature. And what I want to do is I want to start by talking about 15 minutes about the New Testament church, about finding the New Testament church in the book of of Acts. I'm only going to do about 15 minutes, and during that time, and even after I'm done talking, I'm going to have the chat feature open, and I think I can set that up where you can uh, ask questions and submit questions. <coughs> Excuse me. And so I'm going to answer those questions afterward, and uh, you can keep them coming. I'll do my best to answer all the questions. Hopefully, it'll be concerning the topic at hand. I will try and answer others that are outside the topic, but. I want to focus mainly on the topic at hand, finding the New Testament church in the book of Acts, and so we can know it today when we see it. So I hope you can join us for that on September the 4th. That's a Monday, Labor Day, 7 p.m. Go to www.nvcoc.net. All right. Living and loving the good life here in 1 Peter chapter 3. What do you think of when I say the good life? Do you know the good life? That's the state slogan for the state of Nebraska. And it's a philosophical phrase for the life that we would like to live. Maybe you'd be surprised to know the phrase originally was associated with Aristotle. And there have been songs and movies and TVs by the same name. Chuck Colson has a book titled uh, in 2005, The Good Life. But what, what really is the good life? You know, for some people, it makes them think about, you know, living a life of ease. Maybe that's fishing, uh, swinging, or playing golf. 
Others, it's a life of expense, luxury lot, uh, yachts and Caribbean beaches, maybe going to spas and having servants. I don't know. But maybe even others, it's uh, more of extreme living of bungee jumping and snowboarding out of helicopters and crazy parties like that. For them, everyone's got that different idea of the good life. And even the Declaration, Declaration of Independence contains that well-known phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which its author, Thomas Jefferson, listed as among the unalienable rights God gave to people. For many people in today's postmodern society, pursuit of that Jeffersonian ideal means primarily chasing after Objects of self-gratification, such as money, houses, cars, or whatever, the best seats. But sometimes this pursuit includes baser aspects of living, which we won't get into here. But the sad reality is that such things are merely a temporary rush that falls far short of the genuine good life that really, truly satisfies One of the most notorious 20th century personifications of that kind of base life we were just talking about was the novelist Ernest Hemingway. He is the author of A Farewell to Arms, The Old Man in the Sea. Uh, He had little regard for the teachings of the Bible or traditional systems of morality. He pursued the good life really with a vengeance. His literary uh, talent brought him fame and finances enough to allow him to seek pleasure all over the world. But none of it gave him any lasting and genuine satisfaction. He tragically ended his life in suicide in 1961. Even the pages of scripture contains examples of individuals who pursued the good life in all the wrong places. The, The worst example being Solomon, the third king of Israel. He had it all. Power, wealth, fame, over a thousand beautiful women. And at one point, from Ecclesiastes 2.17, he said, So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. See, Solomon came to realize that the good life was not found in great accomplishments or much education. It was not found in pleasure or material uh, possessions. Rather, he concluded his books with these words, or his book with these words in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He said, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. So, coming back here to 1 Peter, We see Peter addressing this subject in the middle of his letter. And we see that Peter recognized that believers are not exempt from serious and varied difficulties that can potentially rob them of life and of joy. But still, in spite of the the struggles and the suffering, Peter shares how a believer can live and love the good life. So I want to spend some time looking at these five verses in order to learn something about how to love life and see good days even in the midst of present and challenging difficulties.
and we start with treat others rightly. And here's how uh, Peter begins. Look, look at First Peter chapter three, verses eight and nine. He says, or writes, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. To sum up, and this summing up doesn't signal you know the end of the letter, but but it's the conclusion of his current section. And Peter started this section, uh, this letter, back in chapter two. And he's been addressing a Christian's conduct in an ungodly and hostile world. After addressing relationships with civil authorities, workplace relationships, relationships in the home, now, excuse me, now Peter addresses how to generally treat others in a right way. And he listed these things that enhance our relationships. He began with the command to be harmonious. The word literally means same think. In order to live in harmony with others, we must begin with a common commitment to God's truths that leads to a unity in thought. Certainly the mind we want to have is the mind of Christ. We should want to think like he thought. And when we do, we experience a greater harmony with God's people because we're all thinking and striving after the same thing. So same thing here, it doesn't mean that we all literally are thinking exactly the same thing 100% of the time, but that we are all striving for that same goal, to be like Christ, that being guided by that same book. And then Peter suggests that we uh, ha- should be sympathetic. We should all be sympathetic. This is similar to the command to be kind-hearted, that's mentioned later in the verse, but to be sympathetic means to feel for and with others. To be kind-hearted includes a sense of mercy and and understanding toward others. And we not only feel with them, but we give them the benefit of the doubt. And we try to compensate for them. The way we think and the way we view things. Don't assume the worst in every situation, especially when you don't know or have the facts. You may hear something that may, somebody is talking about something something in a good way, and... You know, don't don't assume. Well, hey, well, if he does that, then this is going to happen. Or if he does that, I wonder if that means he's doing this too, and all these other bad things. Don't do that. In this uh, list of how to treat others, right? Peter also include included that we should be brotherly, or or we should love one another. And Peter uses here the Greek word philadelphio, philadelphio, and it's the word for brotherly love. You know, uh. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And this is friendship kind of love. It has to do with close relationships. So we need to work on those. And Peter's uh, list also, he's got humility. There's no place for arrogance and pride in our relationships. If we don't have the right kind of humility, we will struggle to be sympathetic. We will struggle to be compassionate. We most certainly won't be uh, loving in that relationship, uh, loving one another. So our sense of humility should come from our relationship with God, which should definitively keep us humble, or definitely keep us humble. I like the the saying, uh, this isn't mine, it's another person's, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all equal 
to one another in relation to God. Doesn't matter where we stand in the social scheme of things or in politics or in this world or how much money we have or what we've done, when we're all at the cross, we're all standing on the level plane. We're all the same. And after this short list, Peter also made clear the need that we must not seek revenge or retaliation. That includes actions and words. When others harm us with insults or evil actions, we must not do the same to them in return. Rather, with God's help, <coughs> with God's help, we must repay evil with blessings. Peter had already pointed this out back in chapter 2, verse 23, that Jesus is our great example of this. And just like him, like the Christ, God will reward us with blessings if we will treat others rightly, even when they have treated us wrongly. And notice, you were called for this very purpose, he says. You were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Another purpose What is the purpose? That we might inherit a blessing from God by treating his family the same way he treated us. So that's why we've been called. To help build up and encourage and strengthen the family. So in order to experience the good life, we must learn to treat others rightly. But it doesn't end there, does it? Uh, I mean, even with just what we just talked about, in order to live the good life... That those things that we just mentioned, those would be hard. And you would think it would be easy to be harmonious and sympathetic and brotherly and kind-hearted and humble in spirit. But, man, it's really not. And and not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. All these things is difficult to do already. But then there's even more on top of that. If you want to live the good life, guard your tongue. There in verse 10, Peter writes, For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So, many of the problems of life are caused by the wrong words spoken in the wrong spirit. Every one of us should take a look at James chapter 3 regularly because James had some powerful and helpful things to say about the tongue. And the psalmist, uh, in Psalm 141 verse 3, a good verse for us to memorize, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So what do you think it means to keep our tongues from evil? Well, certainly it means that we should not let any unwholesome, ungodly speech come out of our mouths. As you know, people's language has become pretty atrocious nowadays. Uh, And that's talking about even people in high places. I remember the President of the United States never said things that was derogatory or lied. We didn't think they lied. But now it's just, we expect it. Cursing and treating people poorly and tearing people down. That's the new norm. And don't say, oh, Trump started that. That was It already started back in the 90s. This was already going on. And Trump isn't the worst. We had another president was challenging people to duels. He even ended up getting himself shot. So it's not as bad as it was at one point in our history. But anyway, um, this should never be the case. 
ever for those of us who love the Lord. And we should not allow our tongues to be used to harm others or tear them down. And Peter mentioned that we should not have deceitful speech on our lips. We should tell the truth. All lies should be far, far away from us. When we open our mouths and allow our tongues to speak what comes uh, to speak, what, what comes out uh, should be filled with grace and it should be filled with goodness. And when we tell someone something, they should be able to take us at our word. If we keep our tongues from evil, we will be loving life and we will see good days. Point number three, found here in verse 11, turn from evil and do good. He must turn away from evil, do good. That which is good, that which is virtuous, is the opposite of what is evil. We must have nothing to do with that which is evil and everything to do with that which is good. This this is foreign to the contemporary notion of the good life as, you know, doing one's own thing. For a long time, the motto has been, if it feels good, do it. Or if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad, right? But that is often at the expense of what is really good and what what is really God's will. We live in a time when so much that is evil has become accepted. We have become desensitized to all kinds of evil. We need to beware of the filth that calls itself entertainment. Music, television, movies, internet, all of it, all around, is promoting evil and an ungodly lifestyle. People living together before marriage, outside of marriage, is no longer taboo. There's over tw- uh, This was back in 2005 to 2007. Over 12 million unmarried partners living together. Today, that has got to be tripled by now, if not more. The number of cohabiting unmarried partners has increased was or increased tenfold between 1960 and 2000. So what what is that? That's the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s to 40 years. And now we got at another 23 years to that. How how much is that now? <laughs> you know it's just going up even faster. The number of cohabiting unmarried partners increased 88 percent between 1990 and 2007. 55% of cohabitators do marry within five years of moving in together, 40% break up within that same time period, 10% remain in an unmarried relationship for five years or more. Having babies out of wedlock, no big deal. Having uh, Being pregnant while in high school, well, that's not too big of a deal anymore either. 1.7 million babies were born to unmarried women in 2007. 26% rise from a 1.4 million in 2002 and more than double since the 1980s. Unmarried women accounted for 40% of all U.S. births in 2007. Man, same-sex couples in marriage and becoming more and more accepted. Think of the way that greed and selfishness has taken over. Drunkenness, drug abuse, gluttony. These are all evils of our time. And there seems to be No end to the evil that is being reclassified as good and acceptable. There was a time when all things that I just mentioned were considered evil, and people and society in general 
attempted to avoid them and control them. God has given us his commands and they are good. If we want to live the good life, then we must turn away from evil and do good. And you know, those who are living in an evil lifestyle, they are looking for the good life and they're recognizing that the life they're in isn't giving them that good life. But their problem is, is that they think the reason why they don't feel good in their life or they don't have that peace, they think it's because they're not being accepted by everybody. So they lash out at us for not accepting them for who they are. It's not that we don't love them. We do. But we want them to have the genuine good life. But they think, oh, the only way they have that is to be accepted for who they are because that's what they're taught by TV, by their schools, and all these others. And it's atrocious that it's tearing so many people down and tearing families apart and tearing the country apart because people are looking for the, quote, good life in all the wrong places. We know the truth. We know where to find it. We just need to help people see that and work hard where they're at to bring them to that truth, which is Peter's final command there in the last part of verse 11. He must seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. The verbs translated seek peace and pursue it both convey an intensity and aggressiveness of action. Seek is a great desire. The word translated pursue could be persecute. Persecute with the idea that you are going to contain it within yourself and not allow it to escape. Implicit in the phrase is the analogy of the hunter vigorously tracking down his prey. We are to seek peace, hunt for it aggressively, even peace with our enemies and our persecutors. We are to be known to the world as aggressive peacemakers. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The camp theme from this previous summer was, uh, I am exhibit A. That being that I show the very life and attitude of Christ. The, uh, the verse we focused on uh, up there was James 3.18. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And I like what Paul had to say about peace in Romans 12.18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So where does it start? With you and with me. And what difference would it make in our homes if we were to seek peace and pursue it? What difference would it make in our schools, in our neighborhoods, if we were to seek out peace and pursue it? What difference would it make in our church family if we were to seek peace and pursue it? Paul spent a couple of chapters in the book of Romans, addressing the need for congregational peace. One of the more important verses that summarizes that section, Romans 14, 19. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Peace is not something you know we, we can generate on our own. We first of all must be at peace with God through Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 or Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we want to experience the good life, we must seek peace. And we must pursue it. And in the very last verse, here of our passage today, 1 Peter 3, 12, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter helps us to see what it is that we ought, what it is that ought to motivate us to live the good life that pleases God. And we're reminded that God is the sovereign God who sees all. He knows all. He's a God who holds people accountable for their behavior. But for Peter, the primary issue here is not judgment, but God's gracious care for his people. His eyes are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayers. It is God's children who are being watched and listened for. God knows what's going on in our lives. And he's ready to supply all that we need. He is so pleased with us when we live the good life and he, he supplies all that we need to be faithful to him. Um, the race car driver, uh, Bill uh, Vukovic, won the, the famed Indianapolis 500 race. This was back in 1953 and 54. It was a record of success few other drivers had matched. And he was asked, you know, what is the secret of your success? And here's his reply. There is no secret. You just press the accelerator to the floor and steer left. But we all know there's so much more to it than that. And I wish, man, I wish, living the good life was really that simple, was really that easy. What is the secret to living the good life? Well, let's review of what Peter said. To live the good life, treat others rightly. To live the good life, guard your tongue. To live the good life, turn away from evil, do good. To live the good life, seek peace and pursue it. I want to to encourage us to, to keep those things in mind. Look at that passage this week, every day if you can. Make a list if you want to of them. And decide to begin working on at least one, at least one of those areas listed. Ask God to help you improve in that area. And may he bless you, bless us here at North Valley, and enable us to love and live the good life. Thank you so much for spending time with me this afternoon here. And I hope you go home and take a look at this, and I hope you redeem the time, make the most of every opportunity to do the things that God has set before us to live that good life. If you uh, like to grab the, the older episodes for this from First Peter, Jump on www.nvcoc.net, scroll down and click on that radio mic, and you will find not only this episode, but all the previous ones. Thank you, and God bless. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. To hear this program again, go to FamilyValuesRadio1010.com and click on the podcast page. And find this program and many others right there on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.